Alright everybody, welcome back to the Codex West podcast. Uh, this is going to be episode 10, I guess... Just 11. 11, right, because of the mailbag. Sorry, I'm not used to the new format, even though we literally just had a conversation about it right before the show. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Quivola. Yo, yo. And Johnny Paglino. Hey. And today we are going to be talking about the recently published uh, Fire and Fury book about the, the Trump administration and the election and... It's pretty crazy. <laughs> and then, uh, and then we'll I get assume. Some time. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll talk about uh, the bird revelation, Dave Chappelle's new. Are we just talking special. about the bird revelation or the one that preceded it as well? I we could talk about both, but it's. I think, I think it the, was bird the bird revelation is much yeah, more the bird worth talking about. Was the more interesting one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Um, so full disclosure, I only read like an article that paraphrased a couple chapters of Fire and Fury because I haven't <laughs> been around. I don't I haven't had a copy of the book, so I'm probably not going to read it until after we record this. Um, so I'm going to let you guys take point on this one. And Johnny, I'm sure you have some talking points. Yeah, well, to be fair, I mean, the book was like kind of difficult to get. And well, I had to wait. I like I ordered it on Amazon. I guess you could read the Kindle, but I don't read. I don't have a Kindle. Or yeah, I hate um, reading. I, I have I have Kindle. like an old Kindle, and I was I was able to get it on the Friday when it came out. Yeah, I like had to like I ordered it on Amazon. They were like not delivering it, so I like called the local bookstore, and they're like, "Oh, you got our you know when the order comes in next week, <laughs> you'll be." <laughs> it was just basically this big ordeal to get it, um, but I read it. Um, interesting book it's it's interesting because so what like i guess what made it popular right now is because of the salacious elements or like the really like scandalous yeah scandalous like you know insults between which is sort of whatever in a way like people back talk each other all the time like that alone to me is whatever like if you were surprised that steve bannon like like insulted trump behind his back like you weren't paying attention right at all right but um what the book does is give a deeper characterization to how that the backstabbing is wasn't just at the level of um you know just insults it ended up being an entire organizational structure yeah um and Obviously, what a lot of people are saying about the book, which is true, is that it does give an insight into the specific organizational problems and really just the organizational structure that uh, is that is specific to this administration. Um, there's one I, I have like a couple passages bookmark because like he writes it in a way that he his writing style to me is something i haven't really yeah heard so much about yeah it's really with, strange when the, the book reads in many ways like um almost like a fictional and a fictionalization yeah, no, i was actually gonna say the something exact same thing. But, but like the idea is it almost reads like you know when you read a book about the civil war and there's not you know we don't know what they said but it's all kind of written in like you read like gettysburg or something it almost feels like a kind of like assumption of the history but he takes mm-hmm. like a lot of um, I mean, the way that he's been talking, he said that, you know, this is all a compilation of, you know, a long, you know, a lot of interviews done over a long period of time among varying people in the administration. <clears throat> and that what he needed to do was kind of put together a part of the story that's actually true because so much of it was lies. Right. So the end result kind of, you know, seems 
uh, greater than reality in a certain way. You're like, there's no way that you know this kind of thing or this kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I don't think he's, like, making things up, but it gives it a very no, like, it's fictionalized funny. feel, which is cool. It makes it easy to it, read in that way. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are trying to dismiss the book because he had to, like, settle on an account. But that's fundamentally different than inventing facts. Yeah, it feels absolutely. like a novelization, but it's like clearly not fiction. Yeah, it it's believable. I mean, I don't. There was not one part in this book where I was like, "That couldn't have happened." Like everything yeah. was like, "Okay, yeah, okay, I buy that." Um, but I think what I wanted to say was about the style. It, I almost wish it was more constructed because if you're already going to have to settle on an account. Um, you don't have to write in a super journalistic way. And instead of like going full blown, like, you know, he talks about the Shakespearean aspects of um, the disorganization <laughs> in, uh, the, in the book. But um, instead of kind of like going full blown Shakespeare himself, he tends to really get a little self possessed, like too self possessed, where his word choice like he'll just like insert words like yeah that i don't need that like too, he's yes. it's like a little haughty it's like a yeah, little and he'll also just like, like it, he'll use an odd word and you'll be like that was an odd word to use and then it'll appear in the next two chapters three more times like yeah like he uses curry he uses as one a verb. french phrase he uses curry yes. as a verb right i caught that so many times it was so odd there's there was like at least 10 words in here that I, I had never even seen in my life before that could not have been necessary. Indefatigability <laughs> or whatever yeah. it was. There's that Yeah, and idea. it makes it seem like as if he is almost trying to justify to us that he isn't one of these people, even though he's had to be bunkered in with them for yeah. a year because look at my handle on diction. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very smart. How, yeah. I'm, the, I'm, yeah. I'm the smartest novelist. <laughs> I'm a stable like, genius. Because as like Jake Tapper said, uh, his view on the book is um, most people just aren't willing to burn their sources in the way this guy is. Like that's just not how journalism really works. Right. You can't just this guy's totally... never gonna like have access to anything again, most likely. Right, and so it doesn't. You know, if you're already gonna do that, people already should. You know, you don't need to justify anymore that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are not. Uh, you know you've even been totally debased by being with these people um because you know like when you're doing the work you have to befriend like the only reason why he was allowed to write this book is trump liked the picture on the cover of like a story that he wrote about him yeah <laughs> so, so he's like okay you can write in and then it's clear to me that like his major source in here was bannon because uh well one it seems like bannon also just has an inability even though he's like the shadowy silent figure it seems like if you can talk to him he'll just say anything yeah he has mm. the same foot in mouth disorder with his uh with people he keeps close I maybe like. he's just like obsessed with his own like cleverness or something in a way that like causes him to have to brag about it all the time <laughs> i think there's there's he's just a fascinating figure to me i think he is um he has like wonkish pretenses and <laughs> and intellectual pretenses but it seems like his his worldview is no less like platitudinous than trump's is it's just like 
it has an intellectual savvy flavor to it. Yeah. Um, but it's like and, pseudo. I mean, some of it is. Some of it borders on the pseudo intellectual. You know what I mean? I mean, it, 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 it bo- Yeah, I, I think it almost entirely lives in the pseudo intellectual. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fine. But there. Okay, yeah. yeah. But um, he's charismatic. I think you know. Um, he. I think his charisma falls into like this. He uses words like dude and bro when talking about China <laughs> yeah. wars, you know, like, <laughs> like, and then he has this way of um, making it seem as if he has a complete handle on the entire political world by like name dropping obscure people the way oh, that yeah, you would sure. if you were like bragging about your like Hollywood superior taste in music or, or yeah. yeah, which makes sense since he comes out of Hollywood. Um, yeah, I love how. Yeah, I love how this, we didn't make it in Hollywood, and now it's you know, Hollywood is always the bad people who are trying to keep them down. It's like a vendetta. It's very funny. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. There's this one part uh, in the book where they I, the, a description of Bannon I really liked where he goes, "Not so long ago, Bannon might have been recognizably modern figure, something of a romantic antihero, an ex-military and up from the working class guy, striving through multiple marriages and various careers to make it." but never finding much comfort in the establishment world, wanting to be a part of it and wanting to blow it up at the same time. A character for Richard Ford or John Updike or Harry Cruz, an American man story. But now such stories have crossed a political line. The American man story is a right-wing story. All were larger-than-life American characters doing battle with conformity and modernity, relishing ways to violate liberal sensibilities. So it's like, (laughs) instead of fighting, like there is this sense where... uh, I like that, that he wants to be in and out of the world at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I guess the point he's making, instead of fighting this, like, a, like faceless establishment, it's just skewered to liberal hysteria. Um, and that's what he's good at. What it, it seems in some way the chaos that he ushers in mm-hmm. is counterproductive if you are thinking in policy terms. Like, the policies... Well, I'd like to say it's he has wonkish pretenses because it seems like he has like deep policy ideas, but really like he was completely ineffectual. Like the the Muslim ban, trying to shove it in as an EO just on day one just represented really poor judgment. If you are going for something that if, if you actually, if you actually like care about it coming out, for example, like yeah. I, I don't but think that it, he's like the very article that I read but, specifically. Yeah. Stated that like a, his intent with that was to like incite those riots. Exactly. That's yeah. That's exactly the point. Where it in terms of because um, the idea is okay. You get a bunch of liberals hysterical, and then because it just seems so ridiculous, you're able to like covertly push the cart right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're able to redefine norms. Um, Anytime that you're able to get a, a political side hysterical, you shame them in a sense. At least that's the thing. Absolutely, you're debasing yeah. them in a way that like allows you yeah. to push back. Exactly. And that is his uh, modus operandi for sure. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, his <laughs> there's at one point, Bannon is really disorganized too. And uh, at one point, <laughs> Michael Wolf speculates that he might be on the spectrum, which I thought was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was really silly. But um, oh shit! But the reason that someone like him's even allowed to operate in this, or was allowed to operate in this uh, makeup, was because the 
So basically how actually I'll just read another passage. It's about the um how the organization difference. There's like the probably the best chapter in here is literally just it's called org chart. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is and it explains what is different about the organization here than in most other or in any other administration, or at least that's what Michael's speculating on. But it goes, good management reduces ego. But in the Trump White House, it could often seem that nothing happened, that reality simply did not exist if it did not happen in Trump's presence. Which, just side note, it's almost as if like Trump lacks like a social object permanence. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it's dogs. Completely bizarre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, all right. This uh, this made an upside down kind of sense. If something happened, if he wasn't present, he didn't care about it. Wait one second. I'm reading the wrong thing. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading. I was like, wait, this doesn't make. This isn't what I'm reading. Yeah, Johnny here. Bannon. Okay. Johnny Bannon. Johnny Bannon. I am disorganized too, but I did want to talk about his. I just thought that was a really funny joke. Actually, the object permanence. <laughs> yeah, that like, is a good. <laughs> joke. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, in most White Houses, policy and action flow down, with staff trying to implement what the president wants, or at the very least, what the chief of staff says the president wants. In the Trump White House, policy making from the very first instance of Bannon's immigration EO flowed up. It was a process of suggesting and throw it against the wall style what the president might want and hoping he might think that he had thought of this himself. A result that he was often helped along with the suggestion that he in fact already had the thought. (laughs) (laughs) Trump observed Katie Walsh had a set of beliefs and impulses, much of them on his mind for many years, some of them fairly contradictory and a little of them fitting legislative or political conventions or form. <laughs> Hence, <laughs> like or, political form. Form. <laughs> <Yeah>. or form. Yeah. <laughs> Hence, she and everyone else was translating a set of desires and urges into a program, a process that required a lot of guesswork. It was, said Walsh, like trying to figure out what a child wants. And, you know, that's usually like you come in and you're a president you just campaigned on a bunch of policy initiatives and then you literally just try and enact those but trump i mean i guess he had policies but he had he didn't fundamentally care about them well, like, they they, i mean they, they weren't yeah. even like actually articulated you yeah, know what i mean just, I, he was just like, saying to, say, to call it things. policy i think is like a straight how about this he had a position i don't think that's the same as having like an outlook on policy that's if, a better he, way to phrase it for sure. I think that's a good way. I would even take it farther. Like he had an attitude or like yeah. he had. <laughs> <laughs> you just have that je ne sais quoi that <laughs> really <laughs> jives. Baby, you got it. Well, think about healthcare. He's like, you know what I want? I want everyone to have healthcare and I want it to be cheap. Is that a position? Is that like, a policy? To like, is that, <laughs> frankly, funny. is that a, yeah, it's like, is that actually a thought? It's just, <laughs> you know, like, I think it's a sent. I think it, it's a sentence. When a baby medicine. asks for his baba, is, is that a policy? Like, yeah. Right. So, so then it's like, okay, so what happens with healthcare? Basically, um, Steve Bannon is like, hey, um, you need to, you know, this is a litmus test. You need to do repeal and replace, but. I literally don't care about healthcare, so I'm out of this. And then you have you're you're left with uh, Priebus, who's like, you know, okay, let's get the congressional leadership, let's them have them write a bill. Mm-hmm. 
Um, which, funny enough, it just ends up getting to Paul Ryan, who literally only cares about tax reform. So he doesn't care enough to write it himself. So he just sends it out to, um, you know, pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies, which is the exact same criticism that was lobbied against Obamacare. Ridiculous. <laughs> Oh and then you have, then you'll have someone like, um, you know, the uh, the Javanka or J- how do you say it? Javanka, J- the Javanka, yeah. the Javanka. Yeah, Javanka. <laughs> I know there's an R in there. The Javanka, the Javanka side, which is, um, you know, oh, let's make sure that there's a you know child tax credit, or not tax. Sorry, that's a tax reform. Let's just make sure that like there's maternity leave, um, and all sorts of just like more moderate liberal positions. Mm-hmm. And in the end, there's just no leadership. There's just no one. Ha- there's no one to take cues from. It's just people battling it out and hoping, you know, something happens, and then it falls apart. Um, and it the whole healthcare bill ends up being a fight. Let's see, Bannon wants to get it to them to take a vote, and the establishment Republicans humiliating themselves. Um, for- <laughs> Steve Bannon, dude, the guy is, a, he, I know. you can't, you can't say that he doesn't have some balls. Like he just wants to like burn <laughs> it all down. You know, it's pretty amazing. He wants to burn it all down. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it, what happens is, is there's once Bannon gets in um, and he basically, him and Jared, Kushner were like good friends during the, the campaign. campaign, but then basically he splits off um, because he wants to, you know, now it's not about Trump winning. Now it's actually about trying to enact stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, so that means that like Jared and Ivanka, who Ivanka wants to run for president someday, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Oh but God. yeah, they, they get pushed off into another camp and then you've got um, the, uh, you know, the RNC establishment Republican side with uh, Reince Priebus. <laughs> I oh my god! So much. You, I, dude, he went I to, always think I'm. He went yeah. to University of what? Miami. He went to my law school. Whatever. Reince Priebus did. So <laughs> did Marco Rubio. Don't, don't, you don't need to broadcast that. Stuff. I'm just saying, dude. No, it's it's actually a running joke. <laughs> Mark Bannon. Name it's like dropping. it's like a running. It's a running joke at the school. Like you know, kids will always try and get the professors to give some insight into how they were as students, and like they never, you know. Never on the record say anything, but I've I've heard that like you know people always said Rance Priebus was a huge dick. He was just the worst. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm yeah sure maybe the other thing was. that like yeah. contributes to the the novelty feel of this book is like the names of people. Like Rance Priebus <laughs> is like clearly a knight squire, yeah, <laughs> not a, like a person. <laughs> what is up with that? I mean, have I have you ever met anyone else named Rance? Like, where no. does that even know I, I, I always think I'm, like i've got a handle on the word prebus like every time i say his name i think i'm gonna miss <laughs> do you do you really do you really yeah, I mean, do you, like, if you you said I, it without laughing hysterically so i don't think you have a handle on yeah, the name prebus. my dad my dad always says rance prebus is a common misspelling of rinse pubis <laughs> Here come the he kind of does jokes. look like a rinsed pubis. <laughs> I think that that's probably the, the parents looked at him and go, "He looks a lot like a rinsed pubis," and they're like, we "I can't, can't. wait until they, like, how do we?" I do can't that? wait till they do the whole uh, the spinoff administration of like young rinsed pubis, uh, prepubescent prebus. <laughs> 
It's the Disney Channel. Yeah. <laughs> right, is drawing the Mickey Mouse thing. Good lord. <laughs> I love this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you guys think uh, the spinoff administrations are going to look? Are you think they're going to do like, um, like a like some some like maybe some comedies? I don't know. Like, what? What is, <laughs> I think that, that was an excellent <laughs> joke. <laughs> Timing is not everything. No. Apparently, <laughs> some some uh, some fucking uh, <laughs> my hands are big okay. forks. Okay, that's a deep meme. <laughs> Anywho, so um, so I definitely uh would read the book. Um, yeah, I think though, like people are. Something Michael Lewis said, because, you know, Michael Lewis was writing about, um, he did, like, this, I think, a Charlie Rose interview before Charlie Rose got involved in Butt Touchgate. <laughs> but um, uh, he did this interview where he was talking about, he did one on Department of Energy, and then he did um, a Department of Agriculture. And Charlie Rose was like, are you going to do one on Trump? And Michael Lewis was like, I don't think so. I don't think he's that interesting of a person. <laughs> Which, it sounds... It sounds like a like a silly thing to say, but because I mean, of, of all all of the, but like when you read this book, he he's just there's not that much complexity to him. He is just like he's just a child. He's just a big, he's just a child. He's a god he's baby. He's yeah, like, him it's like a person with you know like no impulse control. So you know, people people like to um, uh, uh, say that it's good to like think with your gut or act with your gut, that kind of stuff, right? Like whatever we mean by that. Um, whatever instinct is some of that is also just like impulse control and like you know inability to give your attention to things right and i think that that's pretty clear when you um i mean you can't some of the most profound moments of the book for me were reading big excerpts of trump's speeches so there would be like you know a page (laughs) devoted to something that he said at some event right and it's just it's absolutely incredible like i mean when you read the stuff you know on the page as words and not as like attitude and speech right um, yeah yeah it's not only are they like you know not only are the ideas they're attempting to expound mostly incorrect if not reprehensible but on top of that it's also that he's he's clearly like he, he doesn't actually have a thought. What he's doing is kind of just like going through all of these things that are floating into his mind. Like when he's talking at the CIA about his crowd size. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> it's horrifying. It's, it's abs- I mean, it's really overwhelming. And then similarly, when he, um, when he talks at CPAC and he talks for like, you know, an hour and a half, like off of nothing, completely extemporaneous. And, you know, just babbles. I mean, the stuff is really incredible to read. But so... Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. expect Michael Lewis to write an article about a fourth grader. Like, Yeah, know, exactly, exactly. Like, it's the same sort of, like, thing you're dealing Dude, with. Dude, my, my, you know, my cousin's kids that are in fourth grade are more coherent. You know what I mean? Like, I don't... And the, the thing is, I don't think Trump was always like this either. So, like, I, that's sort of, like, uh, a, a bit in for, like, the senility theory. Yeah, they talk about that here where they're like, they know he's crazy, but the questions were more like, is he 25th Amendment crazy? They Like, those conversations happen regularly gotcha. among senior staff. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. It's incredible. And and so, like— I guess yeah. what I meant— Oh, uh, oh I, was uh, I guess at, what yeah, I— Finish your thought. 
<laughs> okay, you go, you sometimes, go, you, you go. Sometimes you go. negotiating is difficult. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> but I was going to say, Trump isn't that fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bannon is. Bannon because, is for sure. Because, you know, Trump, he takes everything personal and he has no ability to take fault or um, he has no sense of like almost self-deprecation or like self-awareness like, humility he has no humility yeah like none none whatsoever none, he cannot be humble he can't he, like, it's a weakness the goal like the whole trump movement is about him for yeah him, right yeah. it's not about for someone like steve bannon it's he he legitimately sells himself as a populist and as a street fighter on the cause yeah. of populism and yeah. so but at the same time he has this inclusiveness even though he's completely hubristic and probably narcissistic. Um, but they're in different measures, and he actually speaks with, like, a knowingness about the world, and it's a peculiar knowingness. Um, and so He's, I like, think very book- clearly tapped into things that, like, not really many people are. He, ha- he has the same sort of, like, trend predictiveness that you see in maybe, like, the best stockbrokers. But right. it's, it's like he, he has this like weird grasp of like social movement in a way that I'm not sure anybody else that is like has as much power as him does. I mean, you know, um, the reason there's a reason this book, the epilogue of this book is about Bannon and not Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it, which is funny because basically the end of the book, Bannon is prepping his 2020 run and in a, you know, funny twist of irony the reason why he lost all the Mercer's backing and had to step down from Breitbart and almost surely squashed any of those ambitions is because this book was published and because (laughs) he just freely talked to Michael Wolff. So in the end, that same foot and mouth (laughs) disorder that Trump has, Bannon has, and it it felt him in the same way. But what's so confusing about that kind of stuff to me, this is why, like... um, I feel like there's an incongruency here. Like there's something not working because, okay, Steve Bannon, you know, runs Breitbart. That is kind of like, you know, obviously, obviously I'm not a big Breitbart reader or something like that. Right. (laughs) Um, But the thing is that debatable, who knows? Um, But the thing is that obviously it's been effective and you have to like, if you're uh, interested in media, you have to give thought to why it's been so effective. How has it become such a kind of uh, a bastion of this, this, uh, these ideologies. And the thing is that um, if he's, you know, has that much media savvy, right. To a certain degree, like he's aware of, (laughs) he's aware of how to play um, the media against itself, against each other to create particular effects and things like that, right? Um, it's, it, whenever I was reading this, I kept trying to think of like, okay, if Bannon said this to him, he must have done it on purpose. I don't think he does it on accident. Right. Right. I don't, and yeah, he's too calculated. He's of a not person, like a person who would forget that he's on the record. Do you know what I uh-huh. mean? For example, not at all. Yeah. Um, and so. If he's saying it on the record, he's aware that it's like going to go into the book. And he basically, you know, if a lot of this information came from Bannon, then you're talking about this book being kind of like the narrative of it, the story of it, the, you know, the um, uh, the characterization of Trump coming mainly from Bannon. I mean, it, is that on purpose? It's something that I was thinking the whole time. I don't understand exactly. 
right? If this book came out and that ruined his hopes of running for president in 2020, then why did he do it in the first place? Because I, I just think, well, there's a sense where this is something that Jake Tapper was saying. It's there is a possibility, which there's a possibility that these there was a presumption that they were off the record, like a legitimate presumption, or not even a presumption that they had declared that they were off the record. But that only matters if you're not going to burn your source. Yeah. Like if you know what I mean, or if you like have any claim, or, or if you want to maintain your journalistic integrity but there are times where it may be important enough to burn your source or to lose your journalistic integrity yeah right and this could have been there's a possibility it could have been that way but it's hard for me it's hard for me to think that's true because one you have the scaramucci interview with the new yorker which this book basically says that it was because he was drunk Oh, no way. <laughs> that he oh called him. Yeah. And then Bannon did it with the American Observer, like you were saying. When yeah, he, like, for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, he already done it before. So I think, ultimately, I think he's just, like, the actual version of Trump that a lot of, you know, people who voted for Trump might have thought Trump was. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to kind of end with the things I wanted to say. There's just this one passage in the book that I, it, I thought it was probably the most, like um, – interesting observation mm-hmm. it made me it was the most thought-provoking because a lot of this is once you understand that there's you know the organization is like bottom to top in a way where uh, like there was just a lot of fighting trump the reason why people were fighting is because trump famously only like follows the advice that was last given to him <laughs> um yeah. so you know the, there was a lot of strategizing over when to talk to trump it's like why Bannon really liked his like dinners with Trump every night because it's you know probably the last time that Trump was gonna talk to somebody senior staff before one of his like billionaire calls, <laughs> like the billionaire forum at night that he had before he went to bed. But um, you, you you get a sense of what's happening, but then you're you know at some point you're hoping for like um, something of a larger observation. I think he delivers here. Um, so he goes. It is worth considering the possibility that this constant daily, often more than once a day, pile-up events, each one canceling out the one before, is the true aberration and novelty at the heart of the Trump presidency. Perhaps never before in history, not through world wars, the overthrow of empires, periods of extraordinarily social transformation, or extraordinary social transformation, or episodes of government-shaking scandal, have real-life events unfolded with such emotional and plot-thickening impact. In the fashion of binge-watching a television show, one's real life became quite secondary to the public drama. It was not unreasonable to say, whoa, wait just a minute, public life doesn't happen like this. Public life, in fact, lacks coherence in drama. History, by contrast, attains coherence in drama only in hindsight. The process of accomplishing the smallest set of tasks within the sprawling and resistant executive branch is a turtle process. The burden of the White House is the boredom of bureaucracy. All White Houses struggle to rise above that, and they succeed only on occasion. In the age of hypermedia, this has not gotten easier for the White House. It's gotten harder. It's a distracted nation, fragmented and preoccupied. It was arguably the peculiar tragedy of Barack Obama that even as a transformational figure, an inspirational communicator, he couldn't really command much interest. As well, it might be a central tragedy of the news media that it's old-fashioned and even benighted civic-minded belief that politics is the highest form of news has helped transform it from a mass business to a narrow-cast one. 
Alas, politics itself has more and more become a discrete business. Its appeal is B2B, business to business. The real swamp is the swamp of the insular, inbred, incestuous interests. This isn't corruption so much as over-specialization. It's a wonk's life. Politics has gone one way, the culture another. The left-right junkies might pretend otherwise, but the great middle doesn't put political concerns at the top of their minds. And yet, contravening all cultural and media logic, Donald Trump produced on a daily basis an astonishing, can't-stop-following-it narrative. And this was not even because he was changing or upsetting the fundamentals of American life. In six months as president, failing to master almost any aspect of the bureaucratic process, he had, beyond placing his nominee on the Supreme Court, accomplished, practically speaking, nothing. And yet, oh my God, there almost was no other story in America and in much of the world. That was the radical and transformational nature of the Trump presidency. It held everybody's attention. So I think that was kind of fascinating where it's like even if you're like in the midst of world wars and <laughs> overthrows of empires and even in this in the you know like oh, you were saying with Obama even he had like he was considered the most social media savvy president or at least like he was able to use it in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It still didn't capture people's attention in the way that Trump has. And what he was saying about, you know, like public life is incoherent and that so many things happen that we have to like strive to make narratives Mm -hmm. out of, you know, um, but the narrative is, it's coming out in real time in a way that captures that in a way that is historical. The history is being made presently. And that's a sort of really interesting, like social reality where you were the narrative it's not like we have to like even no, like we're struggling to find yeah. yeah it's like when it's like it'll take time to see you know history will decide if obama was a good president or something like we don't like the history is deciding itself in a way you know like in the moment um and i think that's like a really you know phenomenologically it's just like a it's a curious position um and it makes you th- it's like because the trump presidency has like pushed in this bad epistemology with us like coming you know like with mm-hmm. facts being cast in doubt without any further exploration of like how we oh, have claims yeah. to knowledge right like i've always thought of it from that epistemological point of view I never really put into the phenomenological one which is like the 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 you know the disparate facts are being put together immediately there's you know there's an immediacy to our um comprehension of the history oh yeah yeah, so yeah, I, yeah of course um so it's just i think and you I know think that for that's someone what, that's yeah. so oh just for someone who's so dim-witted it's interesting that there's all these fascinating philosophical problems that he's the author of yeah and I, well yeah that's it that's pretty funny right um and i think that that's um uh, that's something that you see conveyed in the book a lot because they talk, you know, he often says um, uh, in a unique way, this White House is like achieved transparency through the fact that it can't keep its mouth shut. Right. Um, and so it's not that they're, you know, being transparent in that, you know, we're releasing all of this information and, you know, tax returns and things like that. The idea is that it's it's kind of like a tongue in cheek comment about it, you know, because everybody is kind of acting in their own self-interest 
uh, and leaking things for their self-interest or they're just, you know, completely oblivious to the fact that they're leaking information that would be valuable to the press to, uh, to print and everything. I mean, um, the, the administration, you kind of know more about it than you've ever known about another president in certain ways, right? Um, and yeah. I think that... So the one thing that I wanted to say about the about this book in total, like the 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 one comment I wanted to make was that I would recommend reading it just because the guy doesn't want you to read it, and for like almost that reason alone. And I and I'm not trying to sound like uh, uh, juvenile or something like that. What I mean to say is that um, he, you know, how about this? He's been talking often about what since this book came out about like we need to tighten the libel laws and things like that, right? Um, <laughs> right which which yeah. is, I mean, when you're, uh, you know, I'm an attorney and I can tell you that's a completely nonsensical sentence that, that just doesn't make any sense. I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, but the thing is that <clears throat> there is a particular reason that Donald Trump, I mean, you know, Donald Trump goes and tries to stop this book from being published, right? And the publisher goes, well, in your face, I'm going to go and I'm going to release it even earlier, actually. I'm just going to go and release this, right? And I mean, that's a good way of strategically avoiding the possibility of having like a temporary restraining order on the book. But Donald Trump never would have gotten that in the first place. And the reason, just to say, this is what the point I wanted to make about, um, in the 1960s, uh, the New York Times would run these um, would run these articles that were, you know, highly critical of the uh, Jim Crow South, okay? And there was this satire piece that they put out. It was like a fake advertisement for something, and it included a bunch of facts regarding um, the government in Alabama, essentially. It didn't name anybody by names, but it said that, you know, a hundred officers showed up to break up this protest or something like that, right? It actually turned out that the information was slightly inaccurate. It was less than 100 officers, like, you know, by it was something like, you know, 50 or 40 or something like that. Right. Um, and a couple of other pieces, pieces of information were just slightly, slightly inaccurate. OK. What ended up happening was that the sheriff of uh, Birmingham, I guess the county where Birmingham is. Right. Uh, the sheriff. Uh, the judges in that area, all of the attorneys barred by the state, um, basic, I mean, they essentially and very straightforward colluded and conspired to essentially try and shut the New York Times down through libel laws by claiming that that was defamatory because it was false information. It was casting them in a bad light. And they sued and had upheld, uh, you know, they won and had upheld by the courts in Alabama a judgment uh, in the millions of dollars, okay? And this would have been, if the New York Times had to pay it out, they would have been shut down. They would have closed their doors. There would be no New York Times right now, right? And the Supreme Court eventually found, after uh, the New York Times um, uh, appealed to the Supreme Court, said that the only times in which statements about a public figure made by a legitimate press entity the only time that those statements can be defamatory are if they are is if they are published with actual malice, meaning that they are lies intended that the person knows are lies and are putting out despite their untruth. OK, or the person recklessly disregards the truth, just kind of says, well, fuck it. I heard something and I'm going to I'm going to print it. Boom. There we go. There we go. I see, you know, this is how you get away with like tabloids and shit like that right nowadays. But the idea oh, is that just because there is, a, you know, 
just because you can look out there and you see some journalism and you're frustrated by um, the loose playing with a fact or things not being highly accurate or not being exactly precise in whatever settings. Um, number one, being a journalist at one of these institutions is difficult and sometimes things are slightly incorrect and they have to go and they correct them later. But you always need to understand that like the reason our laws are like this is because there wouldn't have been a New York Times, right? None of these newspapers, none of our media outlets would have survived these kinds of uh, changes to our freedom of speech, okay? So, so to kind of conclude, if you want to read, if you want to read this book, I think a great reason to read this book is because Donald Trump really doesn't want you to read this book. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So that's my two it's, cents. It's clear. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was good. That was, good. That, was a, that was a nice history lesson to tie it off. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you want to go into Dave Chappelle now? All right. So yeah, I guess it's uh, time to start talking about the bird revelation. The who's he went to? The uh, big forks. So Dave Chappelle just did. Uh, he, it was I guess like kind of a Netflix doubleheader. Um, it's two comedy specials. One of them's at some big comedy club. It's like more along the lines of his normal stand-up specials. That what is that one called again? Equanimity. 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 Yeah. Equanimity. Okay. Kind of like equanimity, but equanimity. A word I believe he never says. Yeah. Not one time does he say equanimity. Um, and then the second one is the Bird Revelation, which is a much like a smaller, more intimate club. Um. I, don't, I forget the name of the club, but it's... I think he did... It was the Comedy Store, I think, which... But uh, it was, like, one I of mean, the small rooms. That, the Bird Revolution? Like on the main, there, there's, yeah. like, a no, larger No, it's definitely, yeah. Store. It's definitely not in the main room, because yeah, it has a different a name. Yeah. There's, like, a lady on the sign. Oh, it's called, like, the Belly Room. Yeah, something certain. like that. I just, like, looked it up earlier. Um, um, and which it's, I think would mean that, like, he surprised people. Yeah, Usually, it seems like that. That's, that's the way it, it was framed, at least. It was like a just like a little one-off thing, and it's a super intimate show. Um, and he's just kind of like spitballing. It's not really. He's really just like uh, I don't know. It's it's uh, more like acting than comedy. It was like theater, I guess, in some ways. It felt yeah, like monologuing instead. Yeah, yeah. he wanted to like it, there was the deal. He was gonna release uh, just one at uh, New Year's and or new year's eve and then he was just like the last minute was like yeah send this one too um which is generally not how specials work at all nope. right like, <laughs> yeah. uh specials usually the jokes are a little dated um if they're you know supposed to be timely because it takes some time for you know between the recording of the special and then editing all and, the hoopla yeah, yeah and all, that whole thing um but this was so recent and it, it was it's, it was so needed because he gets to talk about Louis C.K., um, Weinstein, um, just all sorts of really topical. Like, it's just to me, like, we're still talking about, uh, like, the Me Too movement, which is like the yeah. joke, one of those jokes yeah. that he says where it's like, I also am going to the club. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even say Me Too anymore. I got to say, like, I yeah. also, yeah. Yeah, I also am going to the club. But yeah, so it, it it was a it was super interesting in that you know usually the the most when you want something immediate you want immediate comedy or observation in a comedic way you will watch like 
a late night show Mm -hmm. or like, you know, the daily show or whatever. Um, but this is, you know, someone who's, I think, inarguably the master of the game right now. Um, not even like the master of comedy, maybe just the master of storytelling. It's like so conversational and it it, it like kind of reminds me of It feels like he's including you. It's yeah. almost like it's almost like Mark Maron. I know that they have completely different styles, but he's like in this special. He's sitting on the stool. You know, he's not standing yeah. up and walking around. He's not being really physical. He like he's just having a, a conversation like, at you, you know, basically. Yeah, yeah. There's a way. Um, so his, you know, his previous material, and even in the, I don't want to try to pronounce the word right now, but even in the first one of these two standups, he has really constructed jokes. Like mm-hmm. jokes he clearly yeah, for wrote sure. down. He even he even talks about writing jokes. And yeah. He does a joke about um, almost a meta joke about writing jokes in a way. <laughs> yeah. When he does the kick him in the puss or kick her in the pussy. Yeah. <laughs> because he brings it back to you at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, what I think is what Mark's saying is with Mark Maron, there's like what makes Mark Maron's comedic style really great is you don't get the sense that like the jokes are written. He's no. So it's it's not even like. I guess like conversationalist is a a way to describe it, um, but it's also like getting away with all the pretenses of being a comedian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, absolutely. The, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, it's like Mark when you watch Mark Maron, he's like actively fighting against the fact that he's a comedian. Yeah, like he's, he's almost like um, he gets you know has a lot of anxiety over the fact that he's a comedian because no one takes comedians seriously, and that, that's part of his shtick. Yeah, like and, and he also, like, he even, like, talks about it directly. You know, I remember at one of them, he goes, right. he goes, thanks for coming to my stand-up special. I don't even know if you can call what I do stand-up anymore. And he was actually being, it wasn't, like, a joke. He was just kind of yeah. making a, a serious passing comment about it. But it's, like, yeah, it's clear that it's, you know, halfway between, you know, monologues and this stream of consciousness thing. And Dave Chappelle's thing is obviously uh, more constructed. There's kind of, it's more thematic. You can kind of see that uh, things are put together in a way that he had thought about uh, ahead of time. But at the same time, it really does feel, I mean, intimate is, you know, uh, an often used word, but it really did kind of seem like he was just looking these people in the face and kind of saying these, you know, out kind of outlandish things. Right. Um, Yeah. It was awesome. But he, it's constructed not as a joke though, but as like a, like, so when he, you know, like clearly what he's saying about, you know, when he's like, I'm not saying this, you know, without any irony, the solution to L.A. could be found in South Africa. And he starts going, he basically makes this, like, constructs an analogy between apartheid and the systemic problems in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like, that's very constructed. Yeah. But it's not constructed as a joke. And it's constructed as, like, a, you know, like a elucidation. Mm-hmm. And what... A bird revelation. Is, a uh, bird revelation, <laughs> Sorry, yes. Yeah. Um, but what's it's just interesting because you get it. It to me, I wanted to talk about this because if you know this is stand up, it doesn't seem like he's going for humor a lot of the times. It's no. like he. It's almost like especially when he starts going on the whole pimp story. Oh yeah, yeah. like yeah, totally. the joke. I I think I think I counted. There was only like two jokes in it, and it was all about like. You want to join the circus? She rode her unicycle over to fuck the guy. Like you know what I mean? Like those were the they were clearly just like in there to like give some levity, you know, levity uh, to the the point he was making. And so it was pretty fascinating to me that you can this. 
I don't know what else you would call it. I mean, it's stand-up. It's funny. It's something it's that you, like, I think it's the same thing as, like, any other art form where when you've mastered the craft, you get these creative licenses that nobody else really gets. And, like, True. I think we're just really okay with giving Dave Chappelle the leeway to do whatever he wants and, like, release it as stand-up, even if it's not strictly speaking that. Yeah, and we also give him license to say to give moderate positions that yeah. are like unspeakable right now like the what he says about i think what my favorite part it, it's it's i just take so much joy in it is when he just starts laughing about how funny the louis ck thing is yeah yeah. Sure. yeah yeah he just can't help he's just like but come on man it's funny like it it may it i know it's wrong but mm-hmm. it's funny and then he says some shit that like he, he's clearly okay right now just not abiding by like political culture norms totally. no um when he starts going off on well you know if you can't handle a dude masturbating in front of you i dare say you did not have a dream <laughs> oh, yeah, that <laughs> thank, god, thank god louis ck didn't masturbate in front of mlk <laughs> yeah. i had a dream but i cannot continue yeah, people pulling out their dicks <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, I don't think i'm gonna use forever you brought it up when we were i hadn't watched the special yet but uh when we did the mailbag episode you said brittle spirit Oh my God! You got a, a you got a brittle ass, ass spirit. Yeah, brittle ass spirit. You got a brittle ass spirit. What a <laughs> great term! Like it's so good. It's perfect. Yeah, it's like um, you know, I guess I was thinking about this. Um, what's happening right now is, and something I think he's talking about when we get into these conversations about power and sexual impropriety. Propriety, um, it's almost sort of like a reduction of what power is, I think, right? Like, if you, I don't know if you, you know, like, we've met powerful people in our lives before. Like, that doesn't, that's not the whole picture of who a person is. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, there are powerful people I've met who are easily, they're just really nice and they don't, like, they're pow- like, if their power isn't everything about them. Like you, they're not going to diss you if you, um, or they're not going to like leave you in the dust if you don't like please them in every way. Yeah. Right. Like that's just a shitty person in power. Yeah. It's like that. Right. That's just a shitty person in general, really. Right. And so I think what, you know, the argument is that, you know, like masturbating in front of people who give their consent is not a bad thing. It's just not. But what's the, what people are saying is that, oh, he had this power, and so he was using his power in, you know, in ways where he was influencing these women to say yes, even though they wouldn't have said yes in normal circumstances. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, what you have to think about is, is Louis the kind of guy that if you said no, that he would like lose his shit <laughs> yeah or like or like he would yeah, think less of you like, yeah this is a guy yeah. this is a guy who's asking to humiliate himself in front of you yeah and you're worried you he's... think if you said yeah you think if you're worried to say no to that like and i mean I, and I, I mean that may, dude it was something i can say like just so it doesn't like you know get out of context i i can but like how about this i can believe that that kind of like power dynamic exists and that people might feel pressured in this way to uh to uh, to say yes or something like that. I mean, that's like what the woman's account of it was that, you know, one of them at least was saying that it was like a, um, she felt pressured to say yes. Right now, 
the the thing that I'll say is, you know, okay, yeah, I, how about this? I can admit to there being obviously something problematic with that, right, in some certain way, right? But that doesn't mean that that's actually the same thing as what's going on with, like, Harvey Weinstein or Kevin Spacey or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's really, I, it's just really yeah. not, it's really not the same like, thing. Yeah, one, I definitely, I guess I'm speaking, like, I'm trying to, make a stronger point than that because I do think I get that's where I've been for a long time is like yeah um he you know maybe the power dynamic was in a way where these people were influenced and that's wrong but obviously the real issue here is that uh we're being blinded by hysteria and the fa- the same false equivalence that the left has used to touted the different you know the the in the election between Hillary Clinton and Trump like the same attacks like oh don't get fall into these false equivalencies like yeah. you know Trump is way worse now on the left it's like oh all sexual impropriety is the same thing yes i right. mean yeah i can and yeah. so it's the same false equivalence um so i've been in that point for a while but i just recently had this thought where like if like you know like if you're in a situation where you know Louie and like someone is act you know it's like this is a guy who like by all of our accounts by people talking about him um, being shocked by this, mm-hmm. they like they, his character attributes are not in a way where you would think that if you told him no, that he would wield his power against you in um, ways that would have you know hurt your career, career. Pro- yeah, yeah, or your life. But, really. right, and so if like that's a sense of what that person is, right? Because we have to think about person about power just being one of the pieces of a person's personality, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, is is Louis vindictive? No one has really made that claim yet, right? And if you're if someone isn't vindictive, then where is that pressure coming from? Like, you want to please him because if you don't please him, then what? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Yeah, and there's no threat. What's the threat? And he's literally, what he's asking you is like, can I humiliate myself in front of you? And if you say no, that's just a lesser form of the thing he's asking. Yeah. You. <laughs> so I think that that's really funny. That's that's pretty so funny. It's yeah. just it's very specific to this Louis thing, and why I think there's a reason that like Dave Chappelle just finds it hilarious because I think a lot of us do find it's just funny. It's like it's not like there's nothing funny about what Weinstein was doing. Like that shit yeah. is legitimate. It's sad. Like listening to a lot of people where he's just like, show me your titties. Oh, please just show me your, like while he's trying to jack off and they're just like trying to leave the room. Or yeah. He's literally like a upsetting. huge intimidating. He's a bully. Men have called him a bully before this whole thing have happened. Mm-hmm. So you know that like in that situation in his character, you know, in the bigger picture of who he is as a person, like where it's so much easier to be like, Oh yeah, like I, we can't excuse him for the shit. Yeah, if you don't act like us, he will ruin you. Like that's a yeah. There's and a he's there's done a it. real th- and he's like a physically yeah. imposing person. Well, too. so the uh, exactly. the other thing that I'll say. So just to um, how about this? I, I I totally take what you're saying, and I, I a lot of what you're saying I think is how about this? I think that you could there it might be incomplete. So like the the other side of this is that like um, the women don't like know Louie. Right. Like as a real person, for example. Right. And I don't think that they're going through their head and doing the kind of calculus of, well, this guy wants to jerk off in front of me. Right. And if I say no, then because he's probably a person who likes self-debasing anyway, he's probably not vindictive. Right. Like that's like a whole lot of kind of like. Um, uh, it's a whole lot of thinking. It's a whole lot of, well, I mean, that is a whole lot of thinking in like a scenario like that for, for sure. Yeah, no, I know. Sure. I, I, and yeah. so on top of that though, I would say that like, um, 
I would expect that a lot of women would probably say, yeah, but you don't understand what like the, this like social position of women is in a certain way. Like when you've been, um, I, I, I guess that there's like a certain like social conditioning to feeling, uh, pressured in a situation like that, where you can, where it's hard to perceive the other person as being genuine. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I think that there's, I think that there's, even if let's say that like Louis isn't vindictive and he was trying to have a, a perfectly consensual sexual encounter with a person and without the intention of using his power it, to either influence their decision or punish them for whatever decision they intend to make. Right. Even if that's the case, like the woman doesn't exactly know that. Right. That would take a lot of. To, to know that about the inference. Point. Yeah. That's a lot of inference and not just that. That's also, you would have to have like enough understanding of the person in the past. Like we can say, can't this you say that about this. any like sexual encounter? encounter? Yeah. That's the other, I think, no, but I think that I understand is already kind of like, Oh yeah, like, of course. Confusing. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like be hysterical or sensationalized. No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to kind yeah. of make sense of both positions and look at them in the light of what, the actual social condition is rather than what we can kind of uh, construct logically in hindsight about the way that that social condition played out in a particular instant. Right. So I think that there's basically, I think that like a woman would say something to the extent of, you're a chauvinist pig, Johnny. You need to shut up. No, I'm joking. But um, <laughs> uh, no, but a, what- well, it's what Louis says. I mean, what uh, Chappelle says, like the one girl is like, and then, he started masturbating on the phone, and then his joke is like, well, "Don't you know how to <laughs> bitch hang up?" Yeah. That one and and yeah. and fundamentally, like it's the same, except just like you know, like you know, the act itself is not in, like imposing and physically imposing. The right? way that it's you, described, if you too, close is he's your not eyes, even, you don't. He's not yeah, ever in a cl- position to like. Like it's he's always like laying on the bed. Like he's never in a position to like stop you from leaving. It's right, yeah. And like if you want to just close your eyes, it you don't have to watch it. Do you know like like it's not like I guess in my mind if it's it's a in, in this act it's like I understand it's more complex than this, but at I some mean, level it it's literally is, just but... it's visually offensive to you, I guess. But it's not like like okay like. When a woman is raped, the experiences I've heard is like you want to discard your body because you've lost autonomy over it, but you can't. And so you're living in this thing that you can't get rid of, right? Yeah. Like to me, that's like it, it's such an intense uh, like thing to go through that what you can't watch someone just masturbate i don't know like, you know what i mean like no, like i like i like i like i am just i know it's different because men women but like it, it, if there was a really powerful woman that was like i really wanted a part and she was just like oh like i'm can i masturbate in front of you i would be like well that's fucking funny sure and the girl there were girls in that situation where they were like uh uh, Louis was like, "Do you, you know, uh, can I masturbate in front of you?" And they thought it was funny until he started doing, doing it. it yeah. Which is like, why isn't that even funnier? I don't know. <laughs> I know that's ridiculous. Aren't you? A but comedian? in a way, I, 
Yeah, I would just be sitting there like, what the fuck is this bitch doing? Like, <laughs> I, would, like, I don't know. Like, I guess I've, I guess I've just been through some crazy shit where it's like, if I gotta watch someone masturbate, like, I would do it for like a dollar. You know, <laughs> I'd do it for free. Let's be real. Like, if someone just started masturbating at a party, I'd pay. I'd be like, I. If Louis C.K. <laughs> like, started, well, I guess yeah. <laughs> I guess like, yeah. who's gonna if leave? Louis C.K. started masturbating at a party. I would be up. You don't close. leave that party. Yeah. I'd be watching World Star and pull your phone glasses. <laughs> 3D glasses. I know. I know that's gonna. I don't know. I. But the thing is, is like, I just maybe, I talk. You know, I have. My mom, my sister, these are not feminists. (laughs) (laughs) It's very true. They are offended they can't watch Louie's movie because of this. Yeah. Like, like, they're like like pissed off because, like, I mean, and they, they, you know, there's, I think what it is is like they don't, they buy the power argument when it's like they're using, someone's using power to literally rape someone you know but like in this situation they're just like fuck it you know they're just a little more hardcore i guess you know (laughs) which is like that also is like there are people who would be fine watching that and like at some level like at what i guess what we need to decide and maybe it's just undecidable is what acts are okay like because it seems absurd to me that like you can never fraternize with co-workers that's not like but that's I, actually but you see I, that's not what's happening not what's i'm just happening. i'm putting the ex- no i'm putting that on the far end of but like there are industries where you're not allowed to do that they've decided that you can't uh i don't know like the military or something which like i guess makes sense you don't want to be yeah. but there's also where, but there's like, also i mean but there but, are people who, who are both in the military who are married obviously i mean i mean to say that like this is when you say fraternization right what you're kind of like what that kind of misses is that you're talking about like I, I don't think there's any, I mean, yeah, there are workplaces where they require you to like fill out forms if you're in a relationship with somebody and shit like that. Right. But I don't think that anybody's actually like suggesting here that it workplace dating is the issue. Right. And I think that, I, well, I think well, that it's unfair. What I'll say is I think that it's unfortunate that this whole Louie thing came out at the same time as the whole, um, uh, as the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, Kevin Spacey thing, and all, all all this other stuff going on, because it's kind of you know it's become a uh, it's a, a montage theory thing. You put two things next to each other and you think they're related. <laughs> right? um, but the thing yeah. is that um, to a degree, though, there is like just because Louis you know Louis situation is more of a gray area and less obviously you know clear cut as you know some of the other shit at the same time what's going on is that there is a um women uh, women often kind of uh, like i mean how about this I'm, I'm i'm speaking on behalf of women i guess in a certain way right now but what you know cat calling sucks right and you can be like on a public street and people are cat calling you that doesn't like that's that's the kind of um, sexualization and objectification that women kind of have an issue with, right? So it's not just that, it's not like the act of Louis C.K. asking a woman if he can masturbate in front of her, she says yes, and then he masturbates in front of her. It's kind of like a comment on the fact that Louis C.K. even asked this random woman in the first place who's coming in for an audition, right? That's like, if anything, that's like the improprietous thing, right? The idea is that, you know, 
I can ask my girlfriend if I can masturbate in front of her, obviously, right? But the thing is that that's a that's obviously you know you get you start extrapolating back farther back farther back farther back, and it's not that you know to kind of scoop everything up and say that like oh you know um, uh, office fraternization and flirting and things like that are no longer cool. It's more like you know play off signals and don't try and force yourself on people or don't try and get people, you know. He did it, yeah, well, but He didn't do any of that. No, that's I'm saying. He literally asked for consent. Yeah, I understand. Like, I don't understand how that's fundamentally different but, than, like, you going I, out for drinks and being like, but they're in hey, a, they're you want to have I mean, sex. they're in an audition, right? Isn't that? They're not. No, that's not how. No, they were like, uh, like, the, all, they like, they were, like it was all people like he worked with. Yeah. They already had jobs. They, like, he wasn't um, their superior. It was like a. Yeah, yeah he was a like writer. At this time, too, he's not Louis C.K., like, the powerful man that he is now. He's a writer. Weird. A okay, This yeah. is 10 years I, ago. I, yeah. I, I, this, this is, man, this, then this stuff gets mischaracterized. Yeah, no, he's, Anyways, I don't he's not in an audition. Tangentialize oh, yeah, we, too yeah. hard. We're, like, we're still talking about Dave Chappelle. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think... We went down the Louis hole. <laughs> go, go, go. We did, yeah, Or more like Louis we went hole. up the Louis hole. The Louis hole's but, enticing. But, I mean, to, to be fair, a lot of this is what he's talking about. Yeah. One thing that he, there is like bigger, you know, he's actually, so there's kind of leverages it into a conversation about about, like the direction that the, the feminist movement is taking in this like political climate and like the potential for backlash, I think was one of the most poignant things that he mentioned. I don't, I don't remember exactly how he phrased it though. But he talks about, well, this is, this was the point he's making. Well, he has two things he's saying in this uh, whole special. One is he's, the whole thing is about, the Me Too movement. What he what he uses is Black History to mm-hmm. talk about. Yeah. Um, to talk about the moment that's happening right now, and then the other thing he's talking about is like why he left, which is so great. Which is actually part like, of in the, yeah, yeah. He doesn't answer. It's like all these cryptic, like you know, tangential stories. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's it's another characterization of the Hollywood problem. Mm-hmm. Is like why did like it's the thing when he talked to the actor studio. It's like why is Martin Lawrence waving a gun around saying they're trying to kill me. You know, yeah. like, why did Dave Chappelle go to South Africa instead of take $50 million? Like, there's a serious sickness. This is a manifestation of that sickness that's being, like, brought into the spotlight right now. And that, let me be clear, is an amazing thing. And, like, obviously, I support this happening. But the point that he's making, it, it's something that I, like, spiritually align myself with, is that um, someone, like, you're going to have imperfect allies. That's something that he says. And um, these purity tests are a problem because you have someone like – so I guess like why I get hung up on Louis is that he made – this movie, I Love You, Daddy, is like specifically him just reckoning with his like sexual past, mm-hmm. right? In a way that would have complemented uh, like the understanding of this movement if we weren't so obsessed with purity tests. Like right. we can debate whether what he did is right or wrong and like – Things are persuasive that it was wrong to me. It's I'm just trying to offer a point of view that it wasn't so wrong. Um, we can debate that because it is murky. What was not murky is his total exile by the people in power mm-hmm. of him. Oh, he was voice, a, just right? abandoned completely. Yeah, his, his move. Yeah, his the distribution of that movie was shut down, yeah. and there's no you know like I had to torrent the movie. I had to like go get it illegally because I can't watch it legally mm-hmm. because it wasn't distributed and that's like certain that's like a couple people making a pr call when we should be like letting that movie out because it adds to the discussion um and i think that's what you know that's what he's saying about with imperfect allies like you know like and he brings up colin kaepernick a lot i think he's really 
like uh, fascinated by him yeah because he did you know like he the dude took a knee and lost you know like his job yeah. like he didn't have to take that knee um and people get all outraged over like the most simple movement maybe you know like it you know i don't think it was you know like maybe that wasn't the i don't know like i i I have people in my family that are like, you know, you shouldn't, you know, people are just trying to, you know, they're middle class. They, all they want to do is watch their football game and they don't want to get inoculated with politics. Like it, it like whatever, I guess that's an argument, but like maybe it could be a better, you know, you, there's more efficacious way of advancing your cause than just taking a knee. So, but yeah, I mean, well, I can, it doesn't can, matter. It doesn't, but I can yeah. say, I can say, it, I can say a couple of things to that. Number one, it's like, um, uh, Sports has actually always been kind of like a protest place for black people in particular because black people have had, you know, musicians and uh, uh, and sport and sportsmen athletes. were yeah. and athletes were like the original fl- famous sportsmen. sportsmen. Yeah, but uh, we're like the the original like famous black people. Right. So, uh, yeah, totally. Uh, who's the guy? Is it it's, uh, the guy who puts his fist up at? The, the two guys who put the their Olympics. fists up at the Olympics. Yeah. Come on. That's like the in, incredibly powerful moment. Um, I think it's powerful. Yeah. I mean, I it, think it I, the point is. Um, but for, you know, like maybe it's an imperfect gesture. Maybe. I'm saying maybe. But like, you know, every, in the same way that gestures are imperfect, people are imperfect. Mm-hmm. And, and you like, have this platform. He clearly had this platform problems. that he like felt like he was responsible for making this gesture, even if it wasn't like the most effective use of his, his power. Like, I, I would I think it's easy to argue that it was because like someone who doesn't necessarily he doesn't have like political capital as a you know as a protester but he has insane political capital as an athlete because people have this immense respect for athletes yeah I can imagine like it's gonna get seen yeah, I mean in imagine, a way that yeah. if he just does you know it's it's gonna get seen and processed in a way that is different than if he just said something on Twitter or something like that. Yeah, know? I mean, like, imagine that, you know, you're trying to make uh, some sort of political comment uh, clear to the public. You know, you want to, like, you know, work for a cause in some way, make some sort of effort to uh, bring attention to a cause. And once a week, you're on national television. I don't understand. What yeah, exactly. It's that. like, do you know, he's not an artist. He's not a director. He's not a musician. He doesn't have a, any kind of like medium yeah, it's not that like he a, can it's get not, that across besides on the field. So like in a way that it's like the beauty of the gesture is that it's involved in what he does. Yeah. And I'm, I think it's a, be- a beautiful gesture. I guess what it is with me is that what he said about the, like when he started opening his mouth about, uh, he started making the false equivalences between yeah. Clinton and Trump. That was like, that wasn't perfect, but I think, oh, the, yeah, you know, I do think the gesture is beautiful, but what the, the greater point is that like when you, um, you denounce someone because they aren't perfect mm-hmm. and they don't abide the line. Right. Um, you need, you, know, it's, you, you know, need I, people like you can't, that, you can't be yeah. exclusive when you're trying to like have a movement that's, you know, you're, you're trying to gain traction. You need, power and people that are in power are not always going to yeah. behave in ways it's that are like, perfectly moral. What are you saying about, you know, like Ben Affleck, like I touch, you touch a titty in 95, right? Well guys handle it yourself. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't, I guess I, it's, I, I would love, I, you know, like I think any good guy during, in this whole debacle is they've been really thinking about their own history and like 
you know, like what did I do? Maybe that who's was wrong. yeah, who is unimpeachable? Like, like really? Like, yeah, yeah, right. It, Sex it, it, is I, complicated and confusing, and like there are like miscues every day. You dude, know, dude. Oh my god, this is yeah. This is the larger. Uh, yeah, we talked about this actually. Where yeah. it's like I think I think we're like with you know these purity tests are getting us to a like a prudishness. That yeah, that's like the whole. Like, it's totally. this. It's it's weird to me too that this movement like encomp- encompasses sex positivity and then also like puritanical consent. It's so puritan. Like yeah, like there are going to be situations where you think you're doing all the right things and then retroactively, maybe you know, like if we, I don't know. I don't, so it's hard I, uh, to what I'll say, say is exactly, that there was yeah. I, like. Uh, to talk about actually a different comedy special than Dave Chappelle, but I think that this is uh, elucidating of this point, is that, um, actually, they're kind of related, but so that Jared Carmichael stand-up that's on HBO, uh, I think uh-huh. it's just called Eight. Is that what it's called? Like Yeah. yeah okay. Um, yeah. And uh, I read this really, really great um, review of the stand-up that made me go back and watch it a second time. And it kind of uh, characterized the whole thing as being like a meditation on being wrong, right? Like that's like the whole joke. Uh, like most of the time, he says these incredible things that you know these kind of out- outrageous or hot take things, and then he goes, "I know I'm wrong" or something like that, right? Which I kind of saw a little bit of that in in Dave Chappelle. Like that's why he begins with, you know, uh, so you know, things are funny until they happen to you, and I don't say things because yeah. they're mean. <laughs> I say them because they're funny. Right. Um, right. And in the Jared Carmichael standup, he makes this point about um, my, you know, my biggest fear is rape accusations. And I've been trying to avoid rape accusations by not raping anybody. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but this is complicated. And then he goes into like a whole spiel about it. But I think that that's kind of actually a good way of putting it. Is it like I'm scared of rape accusations and, you know, I've been trying to stay away from them by not raping. Right. But that, but the whole point is that the actual question, <laughs> that's not good enough. It's not yeah. good enough anymore in a certain yeah. way. And I don't, and I really don't want to be overcritical of like, obviously the sentiments beca- behind, um, uh, this kind of this social cultural movement and um, uh, the feminist position are all not just like not only am I highly sympathetic to it, but it, I also find it kind of like, you know, um, philosophically convincing and I can understand a lot of where it comes from. But the same way that we kind of talked about like uh, superficial issues or sensationalism or, you know, um, uh, where, what were we talking about last time? I forget when we were. T- oh, we were talking about pronouns uh, and gender. Right. And sometimes, yeah. like, it is, uh, uh, you know, a, a symptom of our modern culture that things kind of get um, uh, really sensationalized for a short period of time where, where like, and, you know, an issue is identified that becomes clear to the public, right? And it's a new issue. And then the next year is spent overplaying things until we figure out how to delineate what our actual position socio-culturally is on this newly is, brought yeah, to light what issue. What the status quo right? is. Right, and so, like, whether or not, you know, obviously I think that, you know, you have to say yes explicitly to everything in the bedroom, for example, which is something that you'll see on online people suggesting. It's just what a bizarre sexual situation. That's like, yeah, that's... Dude, that's that people be, have sex. What a bizarre sexual situation. That no one has sex like that, right? But that... It, that just because there is this like crazy kind of like sensationalized side to it 
if anything, that's actually harmful to the underlying legitimate issue, which is that yeah. there is like a there is um, women have a very different relationship with sex than men do because women have many times in their lives been in the position of like the sexually, I guess subjugated isn't the wrong word, but I mean like prayed after almost. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and predated so, upon. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like preyed upon by like, uh, uh, by, uh, horny men. Right. And, and, and so the thing is that that issue, the issue that there is some, like, uh, there's something going on where there's either like, um, a miscommunication of what's all right or a complete, uh, ignorance like you know not ignorance as in uh, like ignoring what is right and just but ignorance as in like i am not a mind reader yes exactly that's different this is all complicated right so I and think i think that, that almost yeah. it almost brings us back to what we were talking about earlier about um steve bannon where like these movements that are like responses to you know like rape is a heinous crime so like it it these people feel like it demands a certain like reciprocal response Mm -hmm. and then people like steve bannon can like so think about it in terms of like the black lives matter how the response to black lives matter like the hysterical response to black lives matter was all lives matter we're like yeah it's ignorant and it's really annoying and like ultimately like mostly just like ignorant white people expressing attitudes that are you know based in ignorance the backlash to something like rape, like what is the what is the countermanding response to, like, uh, say yes to everything? Like, what kind of culture can be created? Like, what kind of sexual culture can be created by someone who's like incentivized to engineer it? That's like a that's kind of a scary thought, and that's I think that's the other danger of this movement. It's not only are you delegitimizing like more. Or, or less radical approaches to like the problem of consent, but you're like creating this weird breeding ground for like an equally radical response. Yeah, I think that's also something that Chappelle was saying. To bring too, it back to like, Dave Chappelle, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he's like, you know, uh, it's going to get worse. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, you know, like once they don't feel like they're scared anymore, it's going to get worse. And there's a sense in which I think you're right. Um, God, I really think I'm painting myself into this really anti-feminist corner. I don't want to. That's no, like a, I don't. <laughs> but I just I feel like there's not a, yeah. that Johnny is totally not like an anti-feminist men's right activist. Like, uh, yeah, I'm not at all. I think I think men's rights activists are pussies. But uh, like, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a great, that's a really great sentence. It's a great sentence. <laughs> but um, oh God, the the danger is uh if. You're going like yes. If you make it so extreme, you're gonna paint anyone who's trying to have a moderate voice. Yeah. Into that corner, I guess that's what's scary. Yeah, like, it's like, that's like what I'm like. I don't think I'm being that ridiculous right now, but like I feel like I'm like getting pushed into the exact opposite corner, um, and that means that you're gonna like you're alienating people who the people act, that yeah. want to help you. Not, you're alienating those people, and also you're you're um, giving cover to the actual predators, right? And because now that that you can, I you do, know, that I absolutely agree with. So, like, I don't like to, you know, when, um, you know, you'll have all these like comments by uh, by men like us about how well I don't do that stuff, and I feel, you know, um, I feel like people are saying that I do and sweeping all men into these actions and things like that. Right. 
at the same time, it's also that I think that, um, uh, oh my God, what was I going to say? Holy shit. Oh God. <laughs> Fucking Sometimes Quibola. it was that train of thought. Oh my God. <laughs> Fucking Quibola. Oh my God. I, I totally had a point. Something that you ta- that I yeah, totally but, agreed with you on. I forget what you said. That's so fucked up. Uh, that you're giving cover. Giving oh cover my god, Jesus! See, that would have been so easy. Instead, you guys shame me. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, um, I think that in a certain way, um, by kind of throwing too broad of a net, what you're doing is you're allowing the false equivalency issue to be made the other direction as well. Right. That's, yeah, that's I guess that's the point. Um, yeah. Which I was is, to make. and it's you know, it actually may have kind of um, an opposite effect, where there is kind of a way of like um, uh, uh, legitimizing things you wouldn't other, otherwise legitimize, only because they've been associated with things that should be legitimate, but were swept up with those by a broad net that was later narrowed. Does that kind of make sense? Like I think that there's, yep. yeah, yeah totally. I th- and I think that that's definitely something I agree with as being problematic about the position. Yeah, it's just we have to be smarter. Like, we, yeah. like there, this conversation has to be smarter. Yeah. Otherwise, it's going to be a problem on and both ends. I think that's why this the the bird revelation feels like kind of necessary for this political moment because it's not it's not a radical voice. It's a moderate one, and it's not like yeah. uh, it feels necessary not because it's saying anything novel. I think a lot of it is just like Dave Chappelle has this wonderful way of of expounding upon thoughts that you've probably had in a way that's, you know, funny and poignant and clever and makes you like want to laugh and be a part of the conversation. And he's like, smart, he's, dude. he's like yeah, he's, he's like, he's like radicalizing moderates. Yeah. The motifs and the themes are really pretty high minded actually. Like some of the broad, yeah. like he does these long stories and stuff that are very serious and he's quite articulate. Right. And yeah. um, he just, chooses just, his whole position well. It's just good. Yeah, he's good. It's like comforting. It it's oh. it's comforting yeah. to hear. And it's like you know, it's like you you have you probably have somebody in your family like the the quintessential you know like politically incorrect uncle that you'll talk to, and he'll just like have this like way of phrasing things that you're just like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's like definitely how it is, and that's how like listening to this feels. So to sum it up. Uh, Dave Chappelle ends his monologue with a, a, a book and Trump's senior staff thinks he's semi-illiterate. So putting the two together, because we are running pretty late. <laughs> <laughs> we're very late. <laughs> I'm just, I guess what we're trying to say is get ready for the Chappelle Bannon ticket in 2020. Chappelle <laughs> <laughs> Bannon 2020. Oh my goodness. All right, I think that'll do it for this episode. Um, are we still doing recommendations? Or we are, but can we? We got to go quick. We got to do these quick because I got a, I got a, I got a show tonight. Yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, All right, Johnny, why don't you fire off yours real quick? I read a book of essays called "Sunshine State" by Sarah uh, Garrard. It's like some of the best writing about you know um, <laughs> shitty electronic music culture. And, <laughs> men uh who run bird sanctuaries who lose their minds it was like some of the most beautiful haunted but like like somewhat weirdly hopeful writing and essays are great i'm into essays now (laughs) usually not into essays i'm into essays so that's my rec so um 
I'd say, uh, so I mentioned the Jared Carmichael stand-up while you were talking. I would recommend that to anybody. came out last year, but it's really, really good. That was my favorite stand-up of last year. Also, the new Tom Segura stand-up came out uh, like yesterday, uh, right? That's it, And it's awesome. Talks about similar stuff. He talks about, about similar stuff, fringes, and it's yeah. awesome. And if you haven't seen Tom Segura, watch the other ones too, like completely normal and mostly stories. And then this one is called... I forget disrespected or something not disrespected it's, I, 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 I don't know disparage also I learned that his previous album is on Spotify all of his albums oh, no are on shit. Spotify That's great. but he's yeah, awesome there's one that there's a yeah. yeah he's really really good so Jared Carmichael and um, uh, Tom Segura and I uh, honestly was not prepared at all with a recommendation I have not really been consuming anything of note uh, trying to remember if I I guess Jacob like, recommends World of Warcraft <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say Dota 2, but I, I, mean, I, I recommend losing yourself to something that will in no way improve your life. How about that? That's <laughs> great. Um, all right, so yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, we will see you guys next week, and uh, that'll that'll do it for now. That'll do. That'll fucking do. That'll do. That'll do. Peace. Peace. Peace.